0: And later on became a freedom fighter in Zimbabwe, you know, throwing petrol bombs and so on. And it was when I was 20 years old, against God, bitter in my heart, and I'd embraced the Marxist ideology thinking that that was the best ideology because we had been told that the Bible was brought by the white men to Africa to brainwash the black people and make them slaves. So I hated anything to do with Jesus. But when I was 20 years old, I happened to see this gospel tent meeting when I was on my way to blow up a bank. So I said, guys, let's surround the tent. And at seven o'clock, I blow the whistle. I want you to throw the petrol bombs at one time and take your guns and shoot to everybody. And then suddenly, we, we decided to go inside and listen for two minutes only. And when we went inside, it was when we saw this beautiful girl sharing a testimony, how Jesus came into her life. And that put me off balance, because I thought Christianity was for the old, old, you know, grannies who are about to die, but not such a pretty girl wastes, you know, away that beauty. But the more she shared the testimony, her face was shining with the glory of God. There was something she had which I didn't know. So anyway, she invited another black evangelist from South Africa. And he read two verses. Romans 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. And when he started preaching the gospel, I didn't like his finger. Every time he pointed that finger like, He was pointing at me, no matter which direction he pointed that finger like it was bending towards me. But little did I know that you can never hide from the finger of God. And that night I broke down in tears and the whole tent turned behind to see this boy was crying. And I walked forward with my weapons and knelt at the feet of that preacher. And I was crying for mercy from God.
1: Good evening all. Uh, It'd be good to keep your Bible open as we look at this passage. I I had the privilege of uh, meeting uh, Stephen uh, a number of years ago at our old church uh, when he was working for African Enterprises. Uh, And it's just this wonderful testimony of how uh, God uh, works through uh, these series of events that Uh, look like coincidences but really they're all part of you know God working out his plans according to his will and uh, we'll see a bit of that tonight as we look at this passage. So uh, let me pray and then let's open it together. Dear Father as we come to your word this evening I pray that we might rejoice in your grace and mercy uh, that you work through all things to fulfill your plans. I pray that my words might faithfully proclaim your word. Amen. A sceptic would view uh, everything that we read this evening in in Acts 16 as either a bald-faced lie uh, or a fortuitous series of unusual events. Uh, They would explain uh, the psychology of having a dream and thinking it's a vision. Uh, They might talk about schizophrenia or other uh, personality disorders to explain uh, the young slave woman and uh, the history of earthquakes in Macedonia, uh, of which there have been a few. Uh, But as we read the book of Acts, uh, we see a pattern starting to emerge of how God chooses to use uh, the ordinary uh, as well as the extraordinary uh, to fulfil his purpose. And it's people being saved uh, that's truly extraordinary uh, in this whole uh, passage, in this whole journey. uh, That people are coming to Christ, they're hearing the good news of Jesus, they're repenting and believing. Uh, And that's what should get us excited and give us joy. Uh, Everything else is just paving the way for that message to be proclaimed. Uh, To pick up the plot so far, uh, so if you've missed a few weeks or this is your first week, uh, the section uh, that we are looking at this evening is often called uh, Paul's Second Missionary Journey. Uh, It comes straight after uh, a a group of Christians, a very significant group of Christians, uh, met in Jerusalem for what was called the Jerusalem Council to decide uh, whether Gentiles, so people who weren't of Jewish descent, uh, could actually be saved. Uh, And they come to the conclusion as they listen to the witness of the disciples and as they look at the scriptures uh, that Gentiles can become followers of Christ uh, apart from becoming Jewish and apart from the Old Testament law. Now it didn't mean that the Old Testament law was now irrelevant but it did mean that things were different because of what Christ had done. And so as a generalisation, uh, external things uh, like clean and unclean food and sacrifices are satisfied by Christ. They're complete and they are done. Uh, but internal things uh, that we have to do, uh, you know, things like morality and attitudes and behaviours, uh, the way we conduct ourselves, uh, they continue to apply uh, as we live under the Lordship of Christ. And at the same time, these Gentile Christians are commanded not to use this freedom that they have to be a stumbling block to others. So after all of this talk about circumcision uh, and the freedom not to be circumcised, the first thing we read in this passage is about Timothy uh, who gets circumcised so that he's not a stumbling block uh, to the Jewish people who live in that area because his mum was Jewish and his dad was Greek and everyone knew it. And so to avoid an unnecessary debate, uh, Timothy is circumcised. I think that's enough of saying the word circumcised for one evening, and so we'll move on. Uh, But Paul uh, sets out with Timothy and Silas, and they go from town to town uh, sharing the decision of the Jerusalem council, and we read how the churches were strengthened in their faith and grew daily in numbers. But they also started travelling further afield to boldly go where no Christian had gone before. And each step of the way, we see God guiding their path. So verse 7, when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Now we don't really know what prevented them uh, from entering that area, but the vagueness of the description would seem to suggest it was more circumstantial than a a specific word or message. Uh, But as one door closes, another door opens. And so verse 9, During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia. You know, it would certainly make our lives a lot easier uh, if God was more directive in sort of his day-to-day guidance of, you know, where we should go and what we should do. You know, it, you think that, would, that would make things real simple. Just tell me what you want and where and I'm in. Uh, But that's not how God tends to work. And so I sort of take at least some comfort from knowing that my experience uh, is at times a bit like Paul's experience. Uh, Absolutely, he had the extraordinary. Uh, But sometimes uh, there was no clear, specific message, and he just had to look at the situation and pray about the situation and try to work out, well, what does God want me to do? Uh, And to see what doors open, what doors closed. I think uh, as we think about our decision-making process, uh, I think there's four questions that that are helpful. There might be more. If you've got more, then then that would be good. But here's four, I think, to get us started. Uh, Firstly, what does the Bible have to say? Uh, Now, that might not answer the specifics of your particular situation, but it does answer the question of what's God's purpose for us as his people and therefore gives us a framework for how this decision is going to fit into it. I think secondly, will this serve God or serve me? Uh, Number three, am I thinking about myself or am I thinking about others? And then number four, how do my gifts align with this course of action? And so as we ask those questions, we pray that the Holy Spirit will guide us, that the Holy Spirit will convict us and give us a clear understanding of where God wants us to go. Uh, But at the same time, we still sort of need to read the situation. Uh, Is this a situation where I should persevere uh, if things are getting difficult? Uh, Or is this a situation where perhaps I've gone the wrong way and I need to change direction? Uh, For Paul, uh, he wanted to go to Asia, uh, but this wasn't the time and place for that. And instead, God directs him to Macedonia. And we saw in the map at the, at the beginning, Macedonia is kind of you know almost directly north, a little bit to the west. And so they head north to the city of Troas, uh, and it would appear that in Troas they pick up Luke, Uh, And the reason we suspect that is because all of a sudden he starts talking in the third person. Uh, So we read, uh, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And so now we've got Timothy, uh, Silas, Paul and Luke and perhaps some others as well, all travelling off to Philippi. Uh, Philippi is a Roman city and it's a significant city in the region. And Paul's practice when he went to a new place is he would go to the the local synagogue and he would teach people from the scriptures how Jesus was the fulfilment of the Old Testament. They were waiting for a Messiah and Jesus was that Messiah. Uh, But in Philippi, there doesn't appear to be a uh, synagogue. Uh, It's a long way from Israel and Jerusalem. Uh, but there is a place of prayer outside of the city, uh, down by the river. And so that's where he goes. And we pick up the account in verse 14. You can read it with me. Uh, One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptised, she invited us to her home. Uh, Lydia uh, is a pretty impressive woman. Uh, She is a God-fearing woman, and clearly uh, she is known as a successful businesswoman. So being a a dealer in purple cloth uh, was a big deal. Uh, That wasn't a cheap item. Uh, And for me, as as I sort of read about this woman, it sort of reminds me of the woman in the end of Proverbs. Uh, If you've ever read Proverbs 31, uh, there's this description of of this godly woman. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Honour her for all that her hands have done, and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. And so the Lord opens Lydia's heart to hear Paul's message. And as she listens, she realises that even as a God fearing woman, uh, something is missing. Uh, And she recognises that Jesus is the answer. And so she responds by being baptised. Baptised isn't the means of her salvation. Uh, She is saved because she repents and believes and follows Jesus as Lord. Uh, But baptism is a very tangible act of submission. You know, if we think about uh, sin like a stain on our soul, uh, then baptism is about washing that clean. You know, you've got the, this stain and you just can't ignore it. It's sort of right there on front and you can see it, everyone else can see it. You, know, you can't wash it away, you can't sort of cover it over. And so, after all of that, of that trying to sort of escape our sin, uh, the final capitulation is to recognize that we actually need help. Yeah, our world wants to say, you know, we don't have a problem and everything is fine. Uh, But clearly, uh, as we deal with feelings that we don't want to have, as we feel temptations that just seem irresistible, uh, as we suffer the consequences of our own actions and the actions of people around us, uh, then things aren't fine. And this woman recognises that. Uh, But as Christians, the only difference between us and someone else is that we've come to the point of recognising that we need help and that Jesus is the answer. He's the one who died for our sin on the cross. Uh, But this account isn't just about Lydia. Uh, It's also about her whole household. So God opens her heart but also of those who live in her house, not just her direct family, but her her servants and slaves and all the rest. And it's this wonderful picture of God's generosity. Uh, We all need to come to Christ personally. Uh, You can't just rely on family heritage. Uh, But there's something special about seeing that decision in the context of the family. Uh, There's this sense of shared ownership and identity and devotion Uh, that I think we've perhaps lost in our sort of Western individualistic culture. Uh, It's not just this is who I am, but this is who we are as a family. Uh, And again, it reminds me of another woman in the Old Testament uh, by the name of Ruth. And Ruth had a husband, her husband died, and uh, she's at this uh, sort of intersection moment in her life, and she's talking to her mother-in-law, Naomi. And at this moment in time, this is what she says. Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Uh, It's a personal choice, but there's also this honour in her choice uh, and in the choice of this family and this wonderful devotion to family that that I just love. Uh, But now we meet another woman. Uh, Someone who's almost completely the opposite uh, to Lydia. So if Lydia is successful and God-fearing, this young lady is a slave. Uh, Not just a slave socially, but a slave to an evil spirit who has the power to tell fortunes. And when uh, this spirit meets Paul and Silas, uh, it knows exactly who they are and what they've come to do. So verse 17, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. I mean, to give this evil spirit every credit, uh, he's got it right. He knows the truth. He knows exactly who these people are. You know, I think uh, for the most part, uh, we should be sceptical of anyone who claims to be able to tell our fortune, uh, particularly uh, if it's over the phone at 7.95 a minute. And, you know, that, that would be wise and prudent. But as Christians, we shouldn't be too surprised, uh, as we believe in God, as we believe in the Holy Spirit, as we acknowledge that there is a spiritual world, that Paul would encounter a woman with an evil spirit. Uh, and we shouldn't be too surprised, uh, it's not impossible or inconceivable, uh, that someone today uh, can be gifted with unnatural abilities. And if those abilities can't be attributed to the Holy Spirit, then we must attribute them to an evil spirit. Uh, God is in control, but within that control, he allows evil to exist. He allows it to exist within human nature, uh, but he also allows it to exist within spiritual forces uh, that want to influence and fan into flame that spiritual nature. And often it's about offering a hope and a security that is apart from Christ. I think we often associate evil with ugliness, but often it's the opposite. Evil is beautiful and seductive and comforting. Uh, But this encounter is not about equal and opposite forces. There's no balance in the force here. Clearly Paul and Silas as they encounter this slave girl, have the power on their side. And so after a few days, she's been following them around, yelling and screaming at her, and, and doing quite a good job of at least proclaiming the right message. But they finally get to this point of having enough. And so verse 18, she kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. Now you can imagine for Paul and Barnabas after days and days of screaming, just that beautiful sound of silence. Some parents know what that feels like. Sometimes you've got to wait like twenty years, uh, but uh, it is short-lived, isn't it? You know, because as soon as the owners of this lady realise they've sort of lost, you know, uh, their source of income, they're furious. And they uh, start to sort of stoke up this sort of anti-Jewish mob uh, who are there hurling abuse. Uh, This is a a city of Rome uh, with Roman gods. And now these troublemaking Jews have have come into this town uh, and are trying to exert influence and advocate for this foreign god. And so verse 21, they take them to the magistrates and they say, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Uh, The magistrate probably doesn't care whether Paul and Silas are Jewish or Jewish Christians. Uh, They are simply men who are disturbing the peace. And if Romans want anything, they want peace, at least on their terms. And so they beat them, they flog them, and they throw them into jail. And you'd think at this stage that Paul and Silas would be sitting in prison are uh, feeling uh, pretty sore, uh, but also pretty sorry for themselves. You know, they're looking at this whole situation going, God, what in the world has gone wrong here? You know, you sent us to this city. You know, things were looking so good. You know, we're meeting with these people, we're sharing the gospel... And now it looks like we're in prison and we're being punished. I think that's how we feel sometimes, isn't it? You know, when things go wrong. Our first reaction is, God, what are you doing? Or where are you? Or what did I do wrong? Uh, But for Paul and Silas, uh, they're sitting in prison, beaten, in the dark, singing and praising God. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Now, Paul and Silas aren't seeking persecution as some sort of perverse badge of honour, Uh, but they are willing to be persecuted and they're proud to suffer for the sake of Christ. Now, our natural reaction is to see hardship as an obstacle. Uh, It's an obstacle to the gospel. It's an obstacle to our happiness. Uh, But for Paul and Silas, uh, they see this as an opportunity. Uh, So the first opportunity is as they sit there in prison as the prisoners listen to them pray and to them sing. Uh, And then the next opportunity uh, is all a little bit more dramatic, isn't it? Yeah, verse 26, read the story with me. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourselves, we are all here. You know, after a night like that, even uh, the the slave girl uh, looks kind of of a little bit mundane at this point. But you can imagine the emotional journey for this jailer. Okay, he goes from this this moment of, he's asleep, so he's quite in a happy place, uh, to an earthquake, to this sense of complete failure. He had one job to keep these people in prison and he has failed. And so there is shame, and there is humiliation, and there is fear—so uh, much fear that he's willing to kill himself. Uh, and then you can imagine that moment of relief uh, when he realises actually they're all still there. But also, I think some some a new fear—you um, know—he was afraid of them missing, but he should be kind of fearful of these men who he's got in prison, and he sort of you know was an accomplice to putting them there. Because all of a sudden, that slave girl's words seem very true. This is a servant of the Most High God, and he put them in prison. And so he asks just the right question, doesn't he? He realises that he has a problem, and not just a problem in prison, but a bigger problem in life. Sir, what must I do to be saved? The question in itself is an acknowledgement, isn't it? He recognises who these men are and he recognises that what they're offering, he needs and he doesn't have. And so he gathers his whole household together and Paul and Silas share the good news about Jesus. Again, the son of God who died on the cross to pay the price for the sins of humanity. And we see a similar pattern to what we saw with Lydia. Uh, The household hear that message, they believe, and they are baptised he and his whole household. And then we have this fantastic picture at the end of all of this night where they sit down early in the mornings, probably still pitch black, and they share a meal together, uh, just rejoicing in what's happened. All the way through this journey, we've seen that God uses the ordinary and the extraordinary to fulfil his plans. From the time that Paul and Silas left Jerusalem, God had a plan for them to end up in a prison in Philippi so that a jailer and his household might be saved. Uh, you know, We don't know what God has planned for our lives. Uh, sometimes we get to see it in, in hindsight, which is, is helpful. Uh, sometimes we, we, we never see it. Uh, but the question is, if God is in control then how are we going to respond to the circumstances in which he places us? And most often we've got one of two choices, don't we? When things go wrong, uh, we can get bitter and twisted, we can get angry, uh, perhaps doubt, Uh, or uh, we can respond in the way that Paul and Silas responded, where they see each of their circumstances as part of God's will, Uh, that they actually take... Uh, pride in suffering for Christ because they're suffering for their Lord. And they see each situation is an opportunity. If I'm in prison, what am I going to do? I'm going to proclaim Christ. If I'm down by the river, what am I going to do? I'm going to proclaim Christ. But in every situation, they're looking at their circumstances and saying, how do I honour God in this? Uh, and if you're a Christian here tonight, then that's our question of life, isn't it? Uh, It's not, you know, God make things easy, uh, although we're very thankful when he does, but God, in whatever situation, how do I honour you in this? Let me pray. Uh, Dear Lord, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that it encourages us and challenges us and inspires us. And we thank you for the way that you work through the ordinary as well as the extraordinary Uh, to gather your people. And so, Lord, we pray that we're faithful uh, as Christians uh, to you and to your plans, that in all situations we might desire to see you honoured and glorified. Amen.